Welcome to the Relational Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Thompson, joined by my co-host, Austin Hill. Today, we're in part five in our conversation. We hope you enjoy. You said something that really I had not thought of before, where we hear the story of like, I got hurt, like someone gets hurt at work, and then they were given a prescription, and then they dove into this addiction. So it's almost like we're blaming it's we're blaming that someone got hurt at the job on their the next step afterward but you said that what you're what i'm hearing you say is it wasn't just numbing the back pain it was numbing the discontent Mm -hmm. and so it made you feel good in multiple ways not just the physical pain yeah 100 percent. that's why i said it was it was medicine like you know because the other two times i got it and it was for pain and you know i didn't need it. It wasn't that medicine of my, where I wasn't happy in life. And I, and like, I'm not going to sit there and say that like my addiction never would have taken off if I was happy at 24. Cause I don't, I don't know that, but I would say there's probably a chance that it wouldn't have. And I think for most people, it's just like most people who are happy don't continuously use drugs. And I know that's a huge assumption. It's just my own personal assumption. Hmm. I mean, would you say like, maybe what about the word joy? Would you have said like at that moment in your life, you were experiencing joy? Yeah. I like that word. It's a better word than happy. Yeah, definitely not. Okay. Joy was not present. Yeah. And I think there's nothing. And also the other like crazy side of it is if someone is experiencing pain, especially pain that we don't know when it's going to end, it makes sense to try to figure out how to soften it. Like that's like, that's what Jesus did. He walked around softening pain, mm-hmm. healing people, comforting people that were in pain. And so, yeah. Go ahead, Matthew. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, even people, you know, like opiates are powerful. It doesn't take a whole lot for the body to become dependent. So, it's like, you know, say you were in a bad car accident and you were prescribed 30 milligram Percocets and you had to take two a day. And I would say probably by day 60, and if you just stopped, you would have a, a, a little introduction to some withdrawals. Mm. And so, even as you just following what a prescription is, your body's still going to become dependent. And then, you know, if you want to go down another rabbit hole, it's just like, can you be dependent on a drug but not addicted to a drug? And so, that's a whole other rabbit hole you can yeah, jump down. Man. But I think that's, I like what you said, joy. And I would say that's probably, that's a good measuring is if you enjoy and have joy in your life, I think that's the threshold that keeps addiction away where it's like you could be dependent because you're following doctor's orders and not dive into an addiction. Mm. Yeah, because there's like, I mean, there's people in, there's people in my life that are dependent on, on, on drugs to keep them alive. Mm. And so we don't like, I'm not angry at them because they have to take this medicine to be functioning. It's just like, that's what it's for. And so then there's this, I think that where it it shifts and where addiction becomes parasitic, like what we were talking about at the very beginning of the conversation, it's taking something good, turning it evil and hurting people in an unnecessary way. Yeah. And I'll just go back to your word joy. Like, the drug becomes your joy in life. 
it replaces what joy should be. And then that becomes what your joy is based off of. If I have my drug, I am happy and joyful. I don't even want to say joy, like with the drugs. It's like, if I have my drug, I am happy. If I don't have it, life is miserable. It kind of takes over like the whole thing, you know, which is often what parasites like do, right? They, they just suck the life out of the host. They have no life on their own. So I think in that way, it makes sense. Matt, I'm just curious, like if you're in this place of, I don't like who I am and that's kind of what led me into this behavior. And now I find myself, you know, this is no longer just like this medicine that to cope, like now I need it and now I'm, I'm dependent on it. And, and that whole cycle that we just talked about, like what, what led you to, what led you to like, want to change and how did, and even now where you've sustained seemingly, I don't know, unless I'm reading you wrong, sustained a level of hope and contentment and like being happy with your life. Um, what, what happened? How did that all, how did that all turn around for you? Yeah. To go with your, your first question is just like through my addiction, you know, I never went, Refuge was the first treatment facility I went to. So it's like, I would always just like, you know, be addictions fun until it becomes not fun. Um, and, and the minute that it became not fun for me, cause it's like, go back to just like what I talked about with just like compromising your dignity and you're basically in chains because you can't think of anything else. And so I hated that. And so I would get fed up with myself and I would just quit cold Turkey. And I would just go to work withdrawing and just deal with it. And I would get, you know, the first time I did it, I went like six months and, you know, I got my life back and then it, I messed up and, you know, that went on for, for eight years. And, you know, as those eight years went on, you could, you know, my, my vigor and my willingness to quit slowly started the fading. And, you know, for me, like I always had this weird optimism and hope that, this wasn't going to be my story, you know, even though, you know, going on to year three and year four and year five and year six, and now I'm like on 12 attempts of trying to quit this. I was always just like, this is not going to be the end of my story. And then life just started getting really bad and really bad. And now it's just like, every time I try to quit, I would last maybe 30 days. And then it was getting to the point where I could barely last two weeks. And then it was getting to the point where it's like, I could barely, you know, hold off for a week and slowly, but surely that hope was fading away. Um, and then, you know, right up to the point of the refuge, things got really bad. I lost my place and now I'm living out of my car or, or, you know, I'd convince my parents to be able to stay there for a few days or I'd stay on a couch here or a friend's house there. And um, at the very end, and, and, and then you witness, I mean, obviously, when you do opiates for that long, you witness people dying, you witness um you know, overdoses and it's almost like you start tasting death yourself. And so like my biggest thing was just like my hope was starting to slide and that scared the crap out of me. I was just like, if I lose this hope, then I'm probably going to be dead. Um, and it was one night, um, you know, I just, it was late and I was just the biggest motivating for me to finally wave the right white flag and to say like, maybe I need help and I can't do it myself was, of this idea of, of wasted time. Um, and I just, I always like to play little scenarios with myself and the scenario I, I play with myself was just like, you know, if I found out that, you know, a doctor was just like, Hey, you got brain disease and you're going to die in two months. Like 
I would cry like a coward and just beg for a chance to redo my life all over again. And I thought, man, like I'm losing this hope. Death is starting to sneak up on me. Like this is not how I want to go out. I don't want to go out begging for another chance to do it over again. And I don't want to go out hating myself at that point. You know, right before I came into refuge, I hated myself. I despised myself. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Relational Recovery Podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with part six on our conversation. We'll see you then.